Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, good morning. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. The rest of the church celebrated the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus last uh, well, on Friday. Uh, but because it's our parish patronal feast, we get to have it transferred to Sunday, which is pretty awesome. Also, don't forget that tonight after the 5 o'clock Mass, we got our parish picnic over in the parking lot at the pavilion. The uh, Knights of Columbus guys are going to be grilling up some food. And uh, there's going to be great stuff. I don't know. We're going to be giving away cash. I'm not sure. You should all come. Um, there's going to be uh, uh, just a lot of great stuff, so it'll be a blast. Five o'clock, or after the five o'clock mass, over there in the picnic, or over at the, the pavilion. Also, I just want to wish a happy Father's Day to all the dads in our midst. Do we have uh, dads? Raise your hands. Grandfathers, raise your hands. Godfathers, raise your hands. Let's give them a round of applause. It is, uh, it's just a joy. I love, uh, I just love when we, uh, the whole family can be together for these beautiful celebrations. So, so this weekend we have the amazing gift of reflecting on Jesus's heart, which is the heart of everything. It's the heart of the universe. It's the heart of our faith. It's the heart of the mass, the connection to Corpus Christi. Jesus in the Eucharist gives us his heart. All of these things, they come together that the heart is at the heart of all of it. So I want to take a deep dive with us this morning and just share from my heart on the Sacred Heart. So, this is where I want to start with the words, some words from St. John Paul II. When he was reflecting on the original experience of our first parents in paradise before the fall, he said this. Man and woman, they see each other even more fully and distinctly than through the sense of sight itself. That is, through the eyes of the body. Meaning, he's saying... That Adam and Eve, it's, it's as if they saw each other more deeply than just with their own physical eyes. That the sight, that the seeing of each other was a deeper seeing than just bodily seeing. He says this, they see and know each other with all of the peace of the interior gaze. Which creates precisely the fullness of the intimacy of, the pers- of persons. I want to return to that phrase, the peace of the interior gaze. Meaning... That the heart, the person, was fully on display, like in and through the body. It was as if there was no barrier or obstacle for them seeing each other. Those of you who are spouses, those of you who have fallen in love, those of you who have deep, intimate relationships with people, you know this difference. There's a difference between looking at somebody and seeing somebody. There's a difference between being looked at and being seen. And I think we all would prefer to be seen, right? That's what he's talking about, this piece of the interior gaze. I see you. I see your heart. So contrast that experience of that deep intimacy, that deep vulnerability, all of that seeing business to our common experience now as human beings on this side of the fall, that it's just not quite that way. I'm, I'm thinking right now of a couple that I was, I had the honor of preparing them for marriage. I do, I, Deacon Rich and I, we do a lot of marriage prep and it's a great joy, but there was this couple that I was walking with and I had this session with them and I was talking about all of this stuff, vulnerability, hearts, relationship, intimacy, this whole idea that the only path to the kind of intimacy that we long for, the only path is the path of vulnerability, the path of, 
vulnerable self-disclosure, letting someone in, letting someone see you, right? So I'm going on, I'm saying all this stuff, and all of a sudden the groom, he interrupts me, just puts up his hand as if to tell me to, to stop talking, and he turns to his bride-to-be, and he's like, he looks at her, he goes, babe. I'm like, did he just call her babe, right? He goes, babe, this is what I've been trying to explain to you. This is what I've been trying to say. This is exactly what I've been trying to say to you. And he says this, I am begging for you to let me in. So what this groom says, I'm begging for you to let me in. Then he says, you have no clue how amazing you are. Like you can't possibly understand how big my love is for you. And at this point, she starts crying, he starts crying, I start crying, and we're all like reaching for the tissues on my desk. And, and then he said this, listen to this. He goes, let's call her Rachel. He goes, Rachel, I am fascinated by you. I'm fascinated by you. This groom, he was expressing the longing in his heart to be let into her heart. Why? Because her being, her beauty, her person, like she had pierced his heart. She had made such an impact. She had moved into that deep space of his own heart and he wanted to reciprocate. Like that's the funny thing about our hearts, right? That we can put up shields, we can put up these walls, we can put up these defenses and we can keep people out like that bride, keeping her groom-to-be out. And in some ways, that's a fine thing. That's a good thing. We don't want to always be going around completely vulnerable to everybody. Like, that's not a wise thing to do. But our hearts can also, our hearts can also be totally overcome and pierced and just stripped by the beauty of another person. We just get undone. Like this groom was just undone by his bride-to-be. And that's also a good thing. That's also a good thing. I want you to think for a moment. I want to just, just give you a different analogy here. I want you to picture like a, a great big oak tree. And on the outside of the tree is that thick armor-like bark that surrounds the outside of the tree. And in bark, of course, it, it plays a very important biological function for the life of the tree, that the bark is the protective barrier that protects the much more sensitive inner flesh of the tree. Right, where the lifeblood of the tree is flowing, the bark protects it. And like if, if you were to strip enough bark off the outside of the tree, you could you could kill the tree. The tree would literally quite possibly bleed to death. It, it would be so vulnerable, so exposed to things getting in there that it, it could die. Our hearts, our hearts are just like this. They they have this quality, like I'm saying, this quality that there's this protective quality that keeps things out, but we also need to have this capacity to let the drawbridge down, right? To let something else, to let someone else in, to be affected, this capacity for vulnerability. You've heard me preach this before, but the word vulnerability, the word vulnerable means a willingness to be wounded. Vulnus in Latin, wound, it means woundable. We have to have, like this groom was saying, like, He's begging his wife to let down the drawbridge to be vulnerable to him. I'm bringing all of this up today on this Feast of the Sacred Heart because as I've been contemplating this week, Jesus' heart, I was drawn to a different scripture passage than the ones that the church gave us. And that's okay. The church can do that sometimes, right? So the Holy Spirit can do that, I'm saying. I was drawn to a, a particular word in 
uh, the Song of Songs. And you've heard me preach about the Song of Songs before, but the Song of Songs, just to remind us, is the book that's in the very center of the Bible. Right? If you were to take your Bible, essentially, and open it up to midway point, you're going to end up in the Song of Songs. What is the Song of Songs? It is essentially love poetry. It's love poetry. It's, it's this expression of the longing for the intimate communion of bridegroom and bride. It's dripping and beautiful and so exquisite. In fact, the ancient Jewish rabbis, they used to say that all of Scripture is holy, but the Song of Songs, they said, the Song of Songs is the holy of holies. Or think of Pope Benedict XVI who said this. He said that the Song of Songs, this book, he said, expresses the essence of biblical faith. That more than the Gospels, more than the writings of Paul, more than the book of Romans, more than anything else, he says, no, no, this book expresses the essence of biblical faith. That the story of the scriptures is this passionate love drama where God goes on this war path to fight for the heart of his bride who had been captured by the tyrant. That's the story. That is the story. So in Song of Songs, the verse that captured my mind comes from chapter four, chapter four verse nine. The bridegroom says to the bride, he says this, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with a glance from your eyes. Okay, and just in case anybody's getting nervous, did that guy just call his wife his sister? Okay, it's, a, it's an expression meaning you, my equal in humanity, right? My sister in humanity. He didn't marry his sister. Okay, calm down. So let's zone in on this word though. Let's zone in on this word ravished, right? The root of the word in Hebrew is lev, which means heart. So the, the word that, gets, that we translate in English as ravished is the Hebrew word levabathini. So Hebrew is a very interesting language where there's not vowels, there's just consonants and word groups. So it allows for a deeply poetic and symbolic, um, multivalent expression of things. So it's a, it's a poetic Hebraicism, this word levabathini, which translates to essentially the stripping of the heart. The stripping of the heart. And when you look for the word levabathini in extra-biblical literature, what you find is that word is used to express the stripping of bark from a tree. That's the image. Now stay with me on this. I know this is getting nerdy. You with me still? Yes? Okay. What is the bridegroom saying to his bride? He's, he's expressing, you have stripped the protective layer off of my heart, my sister, my bride, with one glance from your eyes. You have overcome me. You've rendered me defenseless. You've rendered me vulnerable. Think of, think of Samson and Delilah in the Old Testament, that this, the beauty of this woman stripped this man. It made him so vulnerable, right? Or think of those of you who are Chronicles of Narnia fans. Think of Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan, who's being marched to the stone table out of love for Edmund, stripped, mocked, beaten, killed, right? You have stripped me defenseless. I want to press even further into this word, leva bathini. Listen to this, this idea of the stripping of the bark imagery. So when someone strips a section of bark off of a tree, what it, that does is it exposes what's called the phloem layer, which is essentially the tree's circulatory system. And something amazing, very theologically profound, happens as a result of that wounding. When the tree is wounded, when the tree is stripped, this is, this is what happens. And I quote from 
Um, Wikipedia. Okay, here we go. It's very reputable. But it is true. <laughs> okay. When a wound on a tree penetrates through the bark and into the sapwood, the tree secretes a resin. The myrrh tree secretes myrrh gum, like frankincense is such a resin. Myrrh is harvested by repeatedly wounding the trees to bleed the gum, which is waxy and coagulates quickly. After the harvest, the gum becomes hard and glossy. Friends, that is what incense is. That's where incense comes from. The hardened, waxy gum of the frankincense tree. In other words, the blood of the tree, after it's been wounded, hardens to become this fragrant offering. It's, the blood is what comes to the surface in the tree after it's been ravished. Leva bathini. Friends, that is why, in so many ways, that is why our worship as Christians has always included from the beginning copious amounts of incense because incense is the liturgical symbol of the blood that comes from the stripped bridegroom. That's what it is. We bathe in our worship. We're bathing in the scent of the bridegroom's love for us. I mean, look at Jesus' heart, his pierced heart. It is ravished. Levabathini. It is stripped. It is pierced. It's wounded. It's bleeding like these trees giving forth this gum. And that love offering, it burns on like the coal of divine charity. That's what's inside the thurible, the, the burning hot coals. We place that incense on the coal and it wafts this fragrance of glory. It becomes a love offering to the Father. So like, why are we here? <laughs> We're not here because simply our sins put him on the cross. We're here because of his love for us. We're here as a response to what has happened in his heart as he gazes upon us. He looks at us, his bride, and says, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. He's on the cross, not because nails are holding him there. He's on the cross because love is holding him there. He's allowed himself to be so overcome because of his love for us. When he looks at you, he falls in love over and over and over again. He is defenseless before you. Like his heart is ravished by us and he never stops. Like he never puts up a wall like we do. He never puts up an obstacle. He never puts up a, puts up a barrier. It's always defenseless. It's always open. It's always vulnerable before us. Pope Benedict XVI, in his very first encyclical as Pope, Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, he settled this centuries-old debate about the nature of God's love in this encyclical where he said that in God's own heart there is eros for humanity. Eros, of course, is that Greek word which expresses passionate, longing kind of love. Not just the other Greek word agape, which is self-emptying, dutiful love for the beloved. No, he says in God's heart there is eros, that there is a madness to God's love, right? God who looked upon the plight of his bride and said, I will become one of you to suffer as my own the consequences which are yours due to sin. There's a madness to his passionate love for us. 
So when we look at the sacred heart of Jesus, we see a heart that is totally exposed, a heart that is on the outside of his body. Like imagine having your heart boom, 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 on the outside of your body. It doesn't get more vulnerable than that. He's saying, I have nothing in between my heart and you. And we get a glimpse of Jesus' heart right there at the Last Supper in Luke 22, where he says to his disciples, when the hour came, he sat at table with his disciples and he said to them, listen to this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Earnestly desired or eagerly desired, it's the same word that gets repeated twice. Pope Francis, in his recent document on the liturgy, the title comes right from this, Desiderio Desideravi, which is in Greek, epithumeia, epithumeo, and I'm just trying to impress you this morning with Greek and Latin. It essentially ex expresses, I desiringly desired, I desiringly desired to eat this Passover. Why? Because more than anything, Jesus longs for union with us. And so he longs to conquer and to destroy the thing that separates us from him which is sin and its consequences. So Jesus desiringly desires to enter into the Passover, into the fullness of the Paschal mystery, into the literal stripping of the bark of his humanity, of his flesh, off of his body, bleeding him dry. Because there, right, in that place on the cross, that would be the place where all of suffering, all sin is, is transformed into an offering to his Father. Like he offers it all to the Father. He takes all of our suffering into his body, into his own heart, and he transforms it. All of that becomes the incense of love offered to the Father. This Jesus, friends, this Jesus, whose heart we honor today as a parish, as a church, he looks at you. Like as you approach for communion, he's looking at you and he's saying, you have ravished my heart. You have ravished my heart with one glance from your eye. Like you, with all the stuff that you struggle with, all the stuff that you were struggling with this morning, driving to church, all the angst, all the frustration, all the sins that you always go back to, you with all of your brokenness, he looks at you and he says, you have ravished my heart. He doesn't say, you have impressed my heart. He says, you have ravished my heart. And just like that groom said to his bride, he looks at you and says, I'm fascinated by you. He's fascinated and totally overcome and undone. He's undone by the beauty of your heart. And all he asks is, won't you let me in? Won't you let me love you? O most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Amen.